0: Well, good morning. I'd like to begin our time together this morning with prayer. I know many of you, as you came in this morning, were, uh, had to walk around an ambulance that was out front. And uh, Last word I've gotten is Dean was transported to the area hospital and was alert and uh, uh, talking when, he, when they left. And so we're hopeful I haven't heard a report since then, but uh, Trish went with him to the hospital. And I'm reminded as we sing about the stormy banks of Jordan that there are many who even today are going through and sitting on those stormy banks. Uh, Sarah, as many of you know, Sarah Williams passed this week and her family preparing for a time of, of celebration, but also that time of, of grief on Tuesday as they prepare for a memorial service. Um, other, another family in our church this week had a, just a tragic death in their family, an extended member of the family. Um, we've had a lot of surgeries this week. Um, on, a, on a happy note of, of hope and and, uh, and healing, I visited with Wynema Caswell, 95 years old, had heart surgery this week and amazed the doctors. And when I visited with her on Wednesday, she was preparing to go back home. So um, a lot of things going on. And I, I felt it's important as we continue in our worship to just have a time of, of prayer and reflection of of going before the Lord and asking him to come and be the pastor and shepherd that we need. Father, we thank you. We thank you that on the stormy banks of Jordan that you do not leave us alone, but that you are shelter. And Father, you are the great physician, you are the healer, you are the one who even when death in this life prevails, that you come alongside of us and offer comfort and strength and hope. We thank you for the promise and the gift of everlasting life. And Lord, as we look at the scripture today, as we study this story about the Samaritan woman, may we not get tied up in its familiarity, but may we allow Your Spirit to speak to us in new ways. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring living water to our dry and parched and thirsty souls on this day. For this we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you learned to laugh at yourself yet? I think that's part of enjoying life. Because if you don't learn how to laugh at yourself, then life can be really difficult. I was getting my hair cut the other day, and my barber was showing me the back, and and I said, well, it looks like you took a little too much off in the back. See, the choir gets this because they've watched over the last seven years what's been taking place. And he said, no, he said, wait, he said, I can... Take a little off, but I can't put any extra on. And uh, so we, we had a good laugh at my expense and, and everything. But uh, have you learned to laugh at yourself? Now, those embarrassing moments are difficult. And I've, I've shared my embarrassing moments with you again, so I'll just confess again today. I was a, a freshman at OU, and, and I, uh, you know fr- incoming freshmen don't really understand college life and dorm life very well. So I made the mistake of signing up for an 8 o'clock class. I was used to my eight hours of sleep at home and, and so I got to the dorms and I discovered that eight hours of sleep didn't necessarily come at night, and you had to get a few hours where, where you could. and so I was taking calculus, and I had had calculus in high school and was very well prepared and so really what happened is as we began those weeks of calculus is it was pretty much a review for me, and, and the only reason I was going was to make sure I didn't miss a test or a quiz. And, to have my attendance grade, and and class itself was pretty boring. And at 8 o'clock on a weekday morning, it got pretty long on that hour-long class. And so I happened to be one that would kind of nod off every once in a while. And if you've had a class in the Physical Sciences building, at least back when I was in class, it was cement, concrete floors, very slick. And the metal chairs that you said on had these little metal things on the bottom that were very slick as well. And on this particular morning, I was taking my nap and uh, had leaned up on my front two chairs, on my front two legs, like you're not supposed to do. And sure enough, in the midst of one of my dreams, I guess, I jerked and that chair slid out from underneath me and it banged about five times on the, on the ground. And it woke everybody else up. Um... <laughs> And everybody was looking right at me. And, what can you do? It say, I'm sorry. <laughs> wow, the other time I remember, I'd only been in Panama for a few days and, and the missionaries, had, I guess they, they took the, the journeyman out or anyway, I was in town for the first time in Panama City. And, and so we went to a restaurant. Several of the missionaries joined us. And um, I got to know one of the, the missionary ladies really well as I was leaving the restroom as she was coming in. And it dawned on me that I had uh, not practiced my Spanish well enough to know which was the men's and which was the women's room. And she looked at me and I looked at her like, you're in the wrong place. And obviously, I was the one that was in the wrong place. I thought, wow, these Panamanian restrooms are really cleaner than what I anticipated. Um, But that's another story. Uh, Anyway, have you learned to laugh at yourself? Have you learned to move beyond those embarrassing moments and, and to... Chuckle and laugh and enjoy enjoy what everybody else is. But what about those shameful moments? We don't like to talk about those, do we? About those shameful incidents in our own life that are embarrassing, they're humiliating. And the truth is, is that while we don't like to talk about them too often. Everybody else does, don't they? You see, we don't like to talk about those shameful moments, but others do. And the reality is is that we talk about those shameful moments to ourselves, don't we? You see, we hear those inner voices. We hear those voices within us that, that never quite allow us to move beyond those shameful times and incidents of our life. You see, these voices, they condemn us. They harass us. They won't let us find a moment of peace. And these inner voices are certainly not gracious and forgiving and redeeming. Yet they continue to harass us. You see, sometimes our shame is brought on by a bad decision or a series of decisions that we make. But sometimes we are the innocent victims of the shame of others. Well, you know, He is illegitimate. We are the victims of other people's indiscretions. Other people's acts of violence that bring shame upon us. Sometimes we're just too young and we don't know any better and and yet we make decisions and we make choices that that bring shame upon us. Yet the reality is is that sometimes we're old enough to know better and we do these things anyway that bring shame upon us. Sometimes we are coaxed into bad decisions because we are placed in a bad place or we've surrounded ourselves with who are of bad influence on us. Sometimes our shame results from addictions that cause us to act in stupid and foolish, immoral and even illegal ways. And let's face it, sometimes our shame is just the result of our own pursuit, our own giving in to the lusts that we have for power, for wealth, for sex, or whatever combinations these things may come at us. You see, the condemning voices inside of us impact the way we view the world from the outside. We think that every whisper is about us. We think that every conversation that we walk into somehow revolves around our own shame and our own instances, incidences. Oh, did you hear this? Well, you know this about them. And we think to ourselves, do they really know? What are they thinking about me? You see, sometimes our shame continues to build and to snowball in our lives. And our shame leads to rejection. Our shame isolates us. And it makes us an outcast in our community and even within our own family. I suspect that this is where this Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus encounters at Jacob's well, I suspect this is part of her story. So let's turn to John 4 and let's begin to reflect on this first part of her story, which I would call the thread of rejection. Now remember, as we're weaving our tapestry this summer through the the familiar stories of the New Testament, we're we're trying to identify the the different threads that run through the particular stories of the biblical text, but also to be honest with ourselves, to say, you know, there's a, a thread, a similar thread that runs through my own story, through my own life. And again, I suspect if we were honest with each other today, we would say that, there is a thread of rejection that runs through our story in some way. And for some of us, that thread may be small, but for some of us, this thread of rejection is the dominant thread and cord of our life. This woman, the Samaritan woman, is going at noonday to fetch water. Now we are fortunate, blessed. Most of us in this day and age don't have to go fetch water anywhere. But some of you have lived and been to places where that is a part of the way of life. I'll never forget again one of my adventures in in Panama. We were driving through a a neighborhood in in Panama City. It was a a poor area, and I noticed in, in this one particular area there were a lot of children. A few women, a few adults, but but mostly children, and they had these these bright yellowish orange buckets. They were they they used to hold oil in them, cooking oil. And what families would do after that was they would clean them out, and then these would become the water jugs. And typically, in most families, the children would go and get the water for the family to have that day. And there was a hydrant, there was a faucet that would be. Uh, common faucet for the community and you'd show up at these places and and the children would be playing in the water while they were filling usually one bucket at a time and typically the children would go in the morning and then they would go in the evening to to fetch water they would devise kinds of ways to carry them with with buckets on the side of a pole they carry over their shoulder or they just lug as many as they could with their arms And this was their way of life because they had no running water at home. Again, I was in India a few years ago on a mission trip and we went out to a a faraway village. And it was the task of the women and the children to walk to the river about a mile and a half away. And they would get up early in the morning in the cool of the day to walk and to fill their water buckets and they would return and use the water. And then they would go back in the cool of the evening to fetch water again so that they might have water for the night. And here we are in Samaria. In a culture where there was no running water in, the, in, in town, and so the women of that day, and I suspect children at times, but the women in particular would go in the morning and they would, would fetch water they would get whatever water they would need that day for the cleaning for for the cooking for whatever they would need for drinking and it was i suspect as it was in these two places that i mentioned it was it was more than just getting water there was a social dynamic that took place because you see there was a community that would walk together they would walk together to the river or to the well And they would talk and they would share the news of the day. And they would would visit with what was going on in their families, in their lives, and in the community. And it was one of the ways that they would keep up with each other. And as you would suspect, I would imagine it was also the place where there was a lot of gossip that was being shared. And people were being talked about. And I think what we discover here in John 4 is a woman who was the brunt of much of the gossip in the conversation. She would go with the women in in this community to go and to fetch water, and she would soon discover that she was the one that was being talked about. She was the one who was being laughed at and snickered about. She was the one in which she would come into a small group and the conversation would stop. And she knew about her past, and she knew about her shame. But at some point... I suspect, in her life. She decided that she didn't need to go along with that anymore. And and so here we find her going at the noonday. Going at the hot time of the day. Because at that point she knew that that everyone else would have gone to to fetch their water and and, and have been home. It was probably late enough in in the day that she wouldn't have to, to pass the women as they were returning from the well. And so she would head out on this, on these hot, dusty days. Walking to the well again, which was outside of town. Retrieving whatever water she would need and then walking back so that she would have water for the day and those that she was caring for. This woman knew the thread of rejection. She knew the hurt and the pain of gossip, of being the one that everyone talked about. She knew the prison of shame and that there was nowhere for her to go. So she avoided the crowds at all cost. until one day she met a man at that well. Now what we have in John chapter 4, I don't think is a verbatim. It's not a word for word of their entire conversation that they had, but certainly it is important snippets. It's important... Parts of that conversation that allow us to flow through the story. And so we have to kind of imagine, if we would, kind of the flow of that conversation and what was taking place. But this woman shows up at the well. Maybe, maybe Jesus was already sitting there and waiting. Maybe He arrived while she was doing her work. But I suspect at some point that a conversation began to, to take place between the two of them to the point where Jesus says to her, can I have a drink? We learn later on in the story that, that apparently this was a well where there wasn't anything that was just left around to secure water. There wasn't a bucket at the end of the ropes that you could lower down. That you brought your own. And we know as we read the story that Jesus didn't have anything to retrieve water with. And so, I would imagine that He's hot. He's, he's tired as the Scripture says. He's weary. It's the hot part of the day. His disciples have gone on into the city to find food, and Jesus is sitting there at the well, thirsty. But he can't retrieve water because he doesn't have anything to retrieve it with. And then in an interesting, here's my parenthesis for the day. In interesting that in John chapter one, we have this beautiful, glorious picture of, of, of Jesus is the Word of God, the Word, the creative word of God. This, this incredible God. Jesus is God. And four chapters later, we see God in flesh, thirsty, and dependent upon this woman to retrieve some water for Him to drink. So they begin to talk and they begin to, to go back and forth. Jesus asked for this, can I have a, a cup of water? Can I have something to drink? And is interesting, here in verse 9, that she's kind of started. Well, how can how how can you ask me for a drink? In the New American Standard, it says, "How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman?" It it appears that she doesn't have any idea, or, or she doesn't believe that Jesus knows anything about her past. Just here's a traveler, someone passing through. She's picked up in their conversation that he's a Jew. Well, how can you ask me? I, I'm I'm a Samaritan, you're not even supposed to be talking to me. But tired and thirsty, Jesus asked for something to drink. And as they continue on in their conversation, Jesus begins to tell her about living water. Now now before we jump into the spiritual implications of living water, let's try to understand this from where she's at. Here's this well, Jacob's well, it's a deep well. It goes down deep and and the water accumulates. It just kind of accumulates and it it seeps into this well so that the people can go and get it. And it's it's a trustworthy well. It's a faithful well. It has great history among the people. Yet you have to go to the well and you have to to drop your bucket. You have to collect that that water. It's hard work. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you about living water. Living water that springs forth. And she hears about this spring water that's somewhere. This this fresh water. Is there a stream somewhere? Is there, a, is, is there some kind of a, a spring water somewhere that we don't know about that you know about? Oh, tell me about this spring water. Oh, that it would be such that we could drink this water and, and not be thirsty. Or oh, that we could drink this water and not have to take something to to fetch the water with. And so she's... She's interested. She's intrigued about this, this living water. Water that's not stagnant or polluted, but rather that's fresh and running. And she asked Jesus this question, this, this question about living water, this thread of living water. She says, well, where can you get this living water? Uh one of the favorite places that probably for many of us is to go to Falls Creek and to, to go back to what used to be called the Devil's Bathtub. I think it's been sanctified a little bit with a different name these days. But uh, you'd go back there, and if you knew where to go, you could find where the springs were coming up out of the ground. And it would be fascinating to take these city kids from, from wherever you were coming and say, let's go back. And, and you'd find that spring, and you'd take a cup, and you'd, you'd fill that cup. Oh, we can't drink that. I said, you better drink it. It's good. It's fresh. It's cold. It's pure. Those kids would begin to drink that that living water. Many of them for the first time. And they discovered how refreshing and how delicious it was. And Jesus is offering this living water. But He begins to talk about it in a different context. Jesus says, this is water that you drink that you will not be thirsty. She says, where can I find this water? And isn't it interesting what Jesus says in response to her question? He says, well, go and get your husband. It's kind of a weird question, isn't it? I, I want my husband. I want some water, right? But Jesus taps into something there. He he picks up on something. Maybe it's just a revelation from the Father. And he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And in fact, the man that, that you're living with now is not one of those husbands. And this startles, shocks this woman. It, it, it causes her to step back. It's How does he know this? And She engages him in further conversation. And isn't it interesting that after he says, go go call your husband, and after he shares this story that the woman says, well, I perceive you're a prophet. How did you know this? Well, there's something spiritual going on here. And so she takes and asks the question about worship. Well, where should we worship? Isn't that interesting that that she is confronted, if, if you would, she is... Is confronted in her in her shame, and, and the first place that she wants to go to, and I don't think it's ignoring and changing the subject, is she wants to go to worship because why? Because wh- why did we go to worship in that day? We went to worship so that we could confess our sins, so that we could offer sacrifice, right? So that our sins could be forgiven. And it's almost as if you're right, Jesus. Here, here I am in all of my shame, but but I don't have anywhere to go. I don't know to go. Do I go? To hear to worship and offer sacrifices? Do we go to hear and worship and and have sacrifices? And Jesus steps back and He says, wait wait a minute. Worship is about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And He says to her that salvation comes from the Jews. Salvation is this this act of cleansing. It's this act of, of experiencing living water. And I, again, I, I suspect they continue in that conversation and he explains more and more what that means. And the woman says to him in verse 25, well yeah, I, I know that the, the Messiah is coming. Remember the Samaritans, part of their ancestry and their roots was Judaism. And they still embrace the five chapters of the law, the five books of the law. And so the Samaritan woman goes, well of course we know that, that salvation comes from the Jews. She she knew who Abraham was. She she understood the Abrahamic covenant, that that these people were blessed so that they could be a blessing, so that salvation could come through the line of Abraham. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, I am He. Here in chapter 4, Before he pronounces and proclaims to anyone else in the the Gospel of John, Jesus is confessing to this woman that he is the Messiah. He is the living water. Have you ever tasted this living water? Have you ever experienced this water that Jesus brings? It's not a bitter water. It's not a lukewarm water that John describes in Revelation that you put it in your mouth and, and you just want to spit it out. No, it, it's a fresh, living, cool water that reaches into the deepest recesses of our thirst and of our lives to bring life. The psalmist in chapter 42 in, in Psalm 42 speaks of the deer who pants. For this kind of water. Whose soul longs after this kind of water. I believe this is the water that this Samaritan woman was looking for. I believe it's the water that many of us here today, that many in our families and in our nation and in our world are so desperately seeking. But all they know how to do is go and fetch water from Jacob's well. They don't know about this living water that Christ has to offer. Do you know what this living water from Jesus tastes like? This sweet water of life, of forgiveness, of cleansing, of being made new, tastes like. You see, it's the living water of salvation. And it's the living water that when this woman began to, to understand, when she began to drink of that water from Christ Himself, she began to experience a, a, a cleansing. And her, her story, her shame, begins to be redeemed. Look what happens. At, at, at this point, verse 27, it says that the disciples come back. They, they're amazed that He's speaking to this woman. And she... I guess the, the people showed up it's her time to make a break. She leaves her water pot there. She'll be back. She still needs that kind of water, right? She leaves her water pot there, but she goes. She's been clean. She's been changed so much that she runs. And the scripture says in verse 28 that she goes and she speaks to the men. Let that's It's her community. We don't know her story. We don't know the details of her her five marriages. We don't know what's going on. But obviously, that that community is... is Maybe she's a widowed five times. I, I don't think that's the impression. It could have been. But she runs and she begins to tell these men about what Christ has done and that she's found the Messiah. Verse 29, Come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And in the meantime, Jesus is talking to His disciples. And in verse 35, He's talking to them about the harvest and about the work that they're doing. And He says, open your eyes and look at the fields. The fields are ripe unto harvest. There are people like this Samaritan woman all around you. And I suspect as He's telling this story, as He's teaching this truth, here comes this Samaritan woman with all these men. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ripe, but we need workers. We need people who are going to going to share their story. We need women and men like the Samaritan woman who who goes and experiencing this living water and this redemption. Goes and says, "Let me tell you what I've experienced, what's been done." And so I speak of this thread of evangelism, thread of sharing our story, this thread of taking this 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 thread of evangelism and. And sharing what God has done for us. And the scripture says in verse 39, that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Him, believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. How faithful are you in sharing your testimony? How faithful are you in experiencing this living water and as it transforms your life, sharing that faithfully? with others saying come and meet this one who's changed my life and so we must be a people that speak of Christ and of living water that speak of what God has done in our lives because as we share our testimony it opens a door for others to believe they come back and they hear from Jesus and they themselves give their lives over to him but we don't just talk about evangelism we must finish this story story finishes with what I would call the thread of discipleship. verse 42, these men would would reflect after a, a couple of days of Jesus staying with them to teach them and to instruct them. In verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said, what this woman said, but now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world woman reached out and she shared what God had done in her life and as a result of that these men came around Jesus and they heard his story and he was able to teach and to share and to draw them into salvation so that they might share this living water. We must also be committed to this thread of discipleship in our church and in our lives as followers of Christ. But you might ask, what what is discipleship? What does that mean? What does that look like? I think the fundamental cord, the fundamental thread of discipleship is in verse 41. When when these men said, we have heard His Word. We've heard His Word. Jesus stayed two extra days so that He could talk to them, so that He could teach them. We have heard His Word. You see, we are called to bring living water, but also to teach and to disciple one another. Next Sunday is going to be a, a wonderful day of celebration as we open the east wing for our youth to return to the youth hall, for adult classes to begin studying and and discipling each other in the the new classrooms. Many in the west wing will also be moved and and be in new places and new spaces. As a church, we must take this opportunity to recommit ourselves to this thread of discipleship, to this thread of teaching and hearing from His Word. Are you involved in a small group in a, in a community small group community a, a Bible study group a, a life group a Sunday school group are you committed to studying the Bible with others are you committed to living out these truths and these principles in spiritual community it takes place in those small groups where we get to know each other where we share our lives together it's critical that we as a church begin to grow in this area. We begin to disciple each other. And and, and I'm talking, first of all, grow in a depth personally. But also that as we grow personally, that we widen our communities to include and to invite others to drink of this living water with us. So I pray that each of us will renew ourselves to Sunday school, to community during these next weeks, And that we will weave our tapestry with the threads of evangelism, with the threads of discipleship. As we weave our tapestry, as we demonstrate, as we profess who we are in Christ Jesus. I can't imagine as the woman at the well, she began to hear from Jesus of this living water. As she shared with her friends the the hope and salvation that she had in Christ. That she reflected... Maybe she proclaimed that in Christ Jesus, I am satisfied. This is how we'll conclude our, our time together this morning. Singing and reflecting on this great truth that in Christ Jesus, we too can be satisfied. The, the deepest thirsts of our lives can be met in Him. As we sing, I trust you'll make your commitments at your, at your pew and your, your place. If you desire to come and to pray and to, to share what God is doing, You come and be faithful, and we'll celebrate with You. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for living water. May we commit ourselves to You in these moments. May we taste of Your water springing forth from us and from You. And may we share the good news. May we teach the Word. May our tapestry reflect the goodness of You. In Christ's name, Amen.